Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. My children, Autumn and Cooper, love to ask Molly and I to play Truth or Dare. But it isn't really Truth or Dare. It's more like Dare or Dare. Because if we say Truth, they just say, no, you have to choose Dare. (laughs) So most often... The kids want to give us dares. They, they want us to do gross or challenging things. But sometimes they want us to give them the dare. And so a few weeks back, I gave Cooper a dare. I said, Cooper, I dare you to eat one of Bailey's dog biscuits. I said, you don't have to swallow it. I just dare you to taste it. And so we dug a dog biscuit out of the bin and Cooper tentatively chomped down on a dog biscuit. His reaction was immediate. He was retching and spitting and gagging and trying to scrape it all out of his mouth. And we were all laughing. And I was kind of curious how they tasted if they really tasted that bad, as bad as he was acting like they tasted. So I told Cooper, look, I'll try a dog biscuit too. It wasn't nearly as bad as Cooper made it out to be, but it did taste the way that dog food smells. It was thick. It was mealy. It stuck to all the surfaces of my mouth, and I don't recommend it. But it got me thinking... How can my dog love these things? Like, what do dog biscuits taste like to dogs? So, I was reflecting on the incarnation of Jesus over the past weeks, uh, Advent, and then Christmas lasts for two weeks in the history of the church. It's not just one day. And so I was thinking about, what does it take to enter into someone else's world? What does it take to enter into someone else's reality? So, okay, now I know what a dog biscuit tastes like. Does that mean that I understand what it's like to be a dog? What would it take for me to fully enter into a dog's world, to fully understand a dog's reality? What if I ran around on all fours? What if I peed on fire hydrants or slept in the garage? What if I started chewing on bones? What if I sniffed other dogs' behinds? What if I lapped my water instead of sipping my water? What if I completely changed my diet to be dog food and whatever garbage I could scrounge and whatever dog treats you might give me? What if I stopped talking altogether and I only yipped or barked when I wanted to tell you something? 
What if every time I got out of the house, I ran away if you didn't have a leash on me? What if I sheepishly let the vet poke and prod me? What would it take for me to fully enter into a dog's world, to fully understand a dog's reality? Now, let's say I did all of those things. Let's say I went completely off the rails and I oriented my entire life around entering into a dog's world. I want to fully understand what it is like to be a dog. And so let's say I spent years and years and years at it, just acting like a dog. Now, would I get it? Would other dogs see me as a dog? Or would humans look at me and would they be like, what is wrong with that guy sniffing around the fire hydrant? And would dogs look at me and be like, what is wrong with that guy sniffing around the fire hydrant? And what would be the real problem? The problem would be that I am still human. I'm still tasting dog biscuits and whatever I can scrounge out of the garbage with my human taste buds. And when people say, what's wrong with that guy? I can understand them. I can understand what they're saying because I am human. I'm just acting like a dog. And when I go sniffing around the fire hydrant, I can't smell the 40 different dogs who left their pee signature there. I can only smell one smell. And it smells like dog urine. No matter how much I tried to enter into a dog's world, I wouldn't completely get it. I wouldn't completely feel it, smell it, think it, sweat it, bleed it, wag it. Why not? Because I am not a dog. I would simply be acting like a dog. The truth is, even if I spent years and years acting like a dog and trying to enter into their world, I could go back to being a human anytime I wanted. Whenever I got sick of this whole dog project thing, I could just stand up and tell people I'm done acting like a dog. Now, it might take a while for people to believe me, but I could go back to eating human food and sleeping in a bed and using a toilet and having conversations. I could go back to acting like a human anytime I wanted. What does it take to fully enter in to someone else's world, someone else's reality, to truly enter into a dog's world, a dog's reality? Well, to do that, I would have to become a dog. And what I'm talking about here is incarnation. It's enfleshment. John 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. Now what's that fancy title, The Word? It's the God who creates the entire universe with words. The Gospel of John begins, it's like a rewrite of the book of Genesis. It, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what would it take for God to fully enter into a human's world, into the human reality? 
Could God simply put on a human Halloween costume? Well, that shouldn't be too hard. It's playing dress up. You know, God could go around on planet Earth looking like a human and doing human things. Eat some hamburgers, go to some basketball games, go to some religious services, work hard, sleep in, ride a bike, travel, play, truth or dare, eat a dog biscuit. (laughs) It's basically... God, the anthropologist, studying humans. And whenever God became tired of that project, all God would have to do is take off the human costume, stop acting like a human, and head home and start acting like God again. Now, if God did that, would God have fully entered into the human reality, the human experience, if God put on a human costume and ate some hamburgers? No. The answer is no. The magic and the miracle of the incarnation, the Christmas story, is that God becomes human. The Word becomes flesh. Now, we have spent quite a bit of time in our Fruit of the Spirit series talking about the flesh, the sarks. The flesh describes the things about you that cause you to feel the most shame. It's everything about you that's easily wounded and self-centered and weak and frail and distracted, self-protective, greedy, tempted to fly off the handle, trying to control every situation, anxious, driven by passions, tendencies towards addiction, poor body image, self-hatred. Jesus grew up with all of those same thoughts and same feelings swirling through his mind and through his body every day. The word became flesh. The Apostle Paul says, He became sin who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Now, there are multiple Greek words for sin, but there's only one English word for sin. When you read it in your Bible, it just says sin, and that's unfortunate. Here are two of the primary words that are actually used in the Bible. There's hamartia. It's a noun. It's not a verb. It's a noun. So it is a condition that you are in, and it shows up in the New Testament 174 times. And then there's the verb hamartano, and that's a symptom of the condition. So it's an action. It's a thing you do, but it only shows up 43 times in the New Testament. Now, when most people hear that word sin, they think about doing bad things. They think about a verb. They think about an action. But if you do the math there, When the Bible's talking about sin, the Bible's only talking about what you do less than a quarter of the time. It's like 24% or something. So over three quarters of the time, 75% of the time that the Bible is talking about sin, it's talking about a condition that you're in. It's talking about something that is impacting you and affecting you and enslaving you and keeping you from being who you truly are keeping you from being who you were truly created to be. 
Because the truest thing about you is not sin. Sin is like, it's like this dead snake skin that you need to shed. Jesus became sin. He became that condition. Jesus became flesh. All of our inescapable problems that plague us every day became Jesus' inescapable problem. In the early centuries of the church, there was a bishop named Apollinaris of Laodicea, and he suggested that Jesus' body was completely human, but that his mind was completely divine. So Apollinaris, he would say, well, yeah, Jesus got tired and he sweated and he farted and he pooped and he fell down and he bled. All the normal things that human bodies do, Jesus' body did. But Apollinaris basically said that Jesus didn't have to grow in self-awareness like every other little child. He didn't have to learn how to talk. That little baby there in the manger knew how to create solar energy and cure cancer and flying cars. Apollinaris believed that the 12-year-old Jesus didn't have to figure out who he was and wrestle with his own identity and his own doubts because he thought that Jesus had a divine mind. Now, would a Jesus with a human body but a God-only brain feel what it feels like to lose a race or to get made fun of or to be lonely or to be misunderstood or to get punched by a bully or to have a crush on a girl or to get caught picking your nose, wish you could grow up faster, not know what you want to do when you grow up, be completely overwhelmed, be terrified by the experience of death? Would a Jesus with a God-only brain feel what those things feel like? The early church flatly rejected Apollinaris' view at the Council of Constantinople. They said no. They said Jesus was fully human in his body and in his mind. He was fully God and fully human. He fully felt what it feels like to be human. The Word became flesh. God became human. Now, let me go back to that conversation about me becoming a dog. Now, let's say at the core of my being, what I truly want the most is to fully identify with every dog. I want to know what it feels like to be a dog. Now, I have no way of becoming a dog, but just for fun, let's say that I did. Let's say that I had a way of turning myself into a dog. And let's say I did it. And I experienced every single day of the life of a dog. I lived through being a puppy. I lived every single experience. And I finally died tragically hit by a semi while chasing a rabbit across the highway. And just for fun, let's say I also had the power of resurrection. I had the ability to come back to life. Now the dog project would be complete. Now I would be able to fully identify with every dog. I would now know what it feels like to be a dog. And so of course, after this experience, I would come back as a human. I'd come back as myself, right? Wouldn't you? Well, 
When we see that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, do we grasp what God just did? God didn't just take on a temporarily altered state. God will be forever human. God has permanently altered who God is. There's no going back. Jesus didn't die and then resurrect in whatever spirit form he was in before the incarnation. The incarnation wasn't a wardrobe change. It wasn't God playing dress up. It was God becoming something other than God had previously been. It was God expanding God's self. It was God changing the essence of God's being, becoming something other than purely divine. Jesus resurrected as a fully human human. He ascended to the heavens as a fully human human. He's going to return as a fully human human. Because of the incarnation, God is and will always be human. Not only human, but certainly not less than human. On the throne of the God of the universe, we find a human. We find the characteristic smile that Jesus got from his mother Mary. The same dimples, the same eyes. And the New Testament celebrates this. It says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Colossians 2.9 It says, There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the human, Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. As an adult, Jesus had a favorite nickname that he liked to call himself. You've probably heard it translated as the Son of Man. Jesus used it 82 times. It's the weos anthropos, and it, or anthropu, but it literally means the Son of Humanity, the human being. Now, Why didn't Jesus come as a little girl? Was it because God wants to identify more with boys? Well, the early church fathers and mothers actually wrote about this. They said, the only way for both males and females to be involved in the process of God becoming human was for a woman to give birth to a man. The early church fathers and mothers saw God wanting both sexes to be equitably involved in the salvation event. They saw the incarnation as equally honoring both men and women. Jesus could not be human without his mother Mary. Yes, Jesus is male, but the human DNA that determines everything human about Jesus comes from a woman. It comes from his mother, Mary. Jesus entered into our human experience not as an anthropologist to simply observe and feel what it feels like to be human, but to show us the way to be truly human according to God's intent, created in the image of God. The early church fathers said numerous times, God became human so that humans could become divine. 1 Corinthians 15:49 says, "Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man Jesus." Peter writes about God giving us his divine power 
everything we need for godly living so that we may participate in the divine nature. <clears throat> That's 2 Peter 1, 2-4. The incarnation is not separate from the salvation event. It is crucial to the salvation event. Christmas isn't separate from Easter. God becoming human was such a big deal that it brought church leaders throughout history to breathe a sigh of relief. It's like even before coming to Good Friday and Easter, simply at Christmas time, we can say, ha, ah, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's like a foregone conclusion that sin is not going to win the day. The flesh is not going to win the day. The principalities and powers are not going to win, to win the day. The early church saw the victory of God in the incarnation. So what kind of an impact does this have on us? Well, we all know what it feels like to be judged by someone who doesn't understand, someone who doesn't know what it's like. Like you try to explain yourself to someone like that, but they don't get how complicated it all is. They think they can see exactly what you should have done, and they think they know exactly where you messed up. But there are about 50 things about your situation that they're completely ignorant of. They don't understand what your limitations are. They don't see how hard you were trying. They don't see your heart. They don't see any of that. They just see that you failed. And it feels awful to be judged by someone like that. Someone who doesn't understand. Someone who doesn't know what it's like. Now compare that with a conversation with someone whose experiences are so similar to yours that they could probably finish your sentences for you if they weren't such a good listener. Every single thing you have to say has them nodding because they know exactly what it's like. They know what comes next. They could almost tell your own story because they've lived their own version of it. They were just as scared and just as stressed out as you are. They know the same pressures, the same challenges. They've felt just as overwhelmed and just as anxious. They know the temptation to soothe the ache with things that are unhealthy and destructive. They know what it feels like when you try to do everything just right and it turns out all wrong. And in a conversation with someone like that, you feel safe. You feel safe to come face to face with yourself. And you can come to a place of healing. And this is the good news of Christmas. It's the good news of Easter. It's the good news of salvation. The good news is that Jesus is the judge. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, God sides with humanity against all that hates us, even our own hatred of ourselves. And God becomes one of us. And this is the incarnation. It's Jesus, fully God, fully human. That little baby reminds us that we are safe to come face to face with ourselves, with our weakness, our failures, our sin. We are invited to become not less human, but more human, who we were always created to be. It's God in you and you in God. Merry Christmas still, friends.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.